My name is Adam Levine. Yo, this your man, Kirk Franklin. Hello, everyone. I'm Erica Campbell. From London, England and Washington, D.C., you are tuned in to Conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Hear, brought to you by Ethel May Books. This is Conversations with Allison J. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Hear. Today, as always, we have another captivating and thought provoking topic and guest. Here's your host, Allison J. Hello and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Alison J, The Journey to Here. I'm your host, Alison J. Today, I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Natalie Hemmerich. Natalie is the founder of the Grieving Parent Support Network, GPSN, the May We All Heal, MWAH Peer Support Group, and the author of numerous grief resource books. As a psychotherapist, Natalie works mainly in the area of grief recovery. Natalie has independently authored and published various grief resource books. In her role, she loves to help people find their inspiration for healthy grieving. She is also a speaker at international conferences, workshops in the area of bereavement and relationships. She is a passionate writer, holistic counselor, coach, and a mother. In her area of passion and specialty, she works in relationship, grief, and trauma. Natalie works with individuals and couples and those who would prefer more personal support in dealing with grief, loss, or relationship challenges. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us here on Conversations with Alison J, The Journey to Here. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me because there's so many things recently that I don't know have become a passion for me that are not, they're things that I have experienced, but I've realized that people don't want to talk about these things. And there's a lot of people suffering many things in silence and they don't have to walk the path alone. That is right. And, um, and especially when you look at things from a cultural perspective as well, there's, um, because I was on, I was um, a friend of mine, she just started this thing where every Monday evening she goes on Facebook Live and she's talking and sharing. And so many people were coming from the same path, the same walk of life, where culturally you never got help for anything. You didn't talk about anything because it was the whole, because like, so even though I was born and raised in London, my parents are from Jamaica. So it was one of those things where you don't talk your business, you don't say anything, you don't do anything. And then you wonder why people lived in a sort of dysfunction. Yes, and grief is definitely one of those taboo topics that in general people don't really like to talk about. No, not in general, I wouldn't say in general, but um, it's a difficult topic to open up to because also there's so many myths attached to it. And 
I know we've, we've been raised to believe those myths. So we, we, we work along those and we utter them without thinking about it, what are we actually doing to ourselves and what are we doing to those people that we say them to, or even if we are believed and we're saying it to ourselves. Mm. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned myths because I wouldn't even have thought that we were raised with myths about grief. It was more a case of in my head, I, and I've seen this where people don't know what to say to you. They don't know how to act. So because they don't know how to, they kind of like give you the whole, there, 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 it'll get better and run away. <laughs> yeah. But you've said myths. So what are some of those myths that we are raised to believe about grief? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's quite a lot. And the, the thing is also those myths, if you use them in a different context, there might be statements that are true, or even some myths are cognitively true, but they're emotionally barren. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, so some of those myths are re relating to time. For example, um, you know, the, the old notion about it will take about a year or the first year is the hardest, mm. or after the first year is getting better. There's different versions of that around grief and time. There's also time in relation to healing. So for example, time heals all wounds, which mm. might be true for a cut on your finger or a broken leg, unless it's not set right in the cast, your leg, it also won't really heal properly. Yeah. Time relating to healing, but there's also grief in terms of having an end point. You know, people say, oh, you'll get through this, um, or you need to find closure as, a, as, a, as if something always has to have an end point. Mm. And so there's, there's that, there's that cluster, cluster of grief relating to time. And then there's also all these sentences that are uttered in relation to emotionality and grief. So around crying, for example, either too much or too little, right? If you're not crying, you're not really grieving or, or um, she never really shed a tear over him, therefore she's not sad or, you know. Yeah, or she didn't really love him or, you know, all these other things that people just make the assumption, because really it's just assumptions, isn't it? Exactly. Or even the opposite, you know, she's still crying her sleeve to sleep every night. Mm. So you have a mix of, of the time of, um, of the topic of time plus emotionality and grief. Or even the whole topic around having to be strong, right? Be strong for your children. You mm. have to think about your, like I heard, so I, I have I've given birth to twins and the younger one died on day I'm three. Sorry. The first thing I heard was, you, but at least you have another child and you have to think about her now and your husband as right. if I wouldn't, but the other one is, is there too. Or, you know, like the, the thing about she's happy, therefore she must be feeling better. Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of what is outside showing must be reflected on the inside and it's it's rarely it's not and what i said before often too much emotionality which is inconveniencing people um leads to um don't feel bad or because people are actually not comfortable with the strong emotions mm -hmm. and that leads to other than the people hiding their emotions um that, that comes to the point where bereaved people say, I'm fine, when they're nothing but fine. It's because they've learned, uh, I cannot actually um, challenge people with my emotions because they're too much. 
On the other side, not enough motion can also be, and not enough emotionality can be seen as a problem. Mm -hmm. You must be, you must be showing your feelings or, um, yeah, there's all these, there's also these, not just myth, but double binds in terms of either side is not really good. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Another cluster, the third cluster is losses replaceable, um, which are all the sentences about you can have another baby, you're still young, or um, for someone that has had a separation, you say there's still plenty of fish in the sea, you'll find someone new. Um, the thing is that even though that might be cognitively true, it still usually is uttered at a time when the person doesn't want another baby or doesn't want another partner mm -hmm. still consumed with that which they have lost so they well, haven't healed from that that current loss but it's almost like you saying that when people say oh you can always have another baby or there's plenty of fish in the sea it's like the person is still going through all the stages of that loss and it's and they're being pushed into haven't it's not People may not realize that that's what they're doing, but it's almost as though you, what you're saying is, oh, but you know what, get over it because just, just go and have another baby or go and marry again or go and get into another relationship. Like, but hold on a second. There's a process that needs, people need to go through to heal that the truth is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Natalie, you may never fully recover from that experience but you could potentially and possibly learn how to manage what you're going through to be able to then even think about moving on to okay I met I think I could be ready for another baby or I think I could be ready to go into another relationship you said a couple of things in there which are completely true. So one of the things is people believe that by replacing the loss, the person is healed. So for example, you need to start dating again. It mm. will help. Well, um, that is not a replacement of the husband that might have died or that, had, that you have had a separation with. So it's not that the, the replacement actually resolves the loss or the feelings. The other thing is what you mentioned, you said, you might never get through this or you not, might never get over this. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a, that's a tricky thing because that involves um, generalization and prediction of the future. So if we're saying something about, um, I will never get over this as a bereaved person, mm -hmm. it is usually an expression during the, the time of acute grief and basically says, this is so hard. I've never experienced something as hard as this. I don't know how I will deal with that. Mm -hmm. But if, and also I put a caveat in there, it also it always depends who's saying it and to what time. Mm -hmm. Because the bereaved person saying it has a different meaning than a support trying to encourage them to move mm -hmm. on or move forward. But in terms of predicting the future, um, you know, that assumes that you know what's going to happen until the end of your life. Or the other person saying it to you says, well, I know you never get through this. We actually don't know. And also the implication is what does getting through it mean? Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of assumptions in that sentence or words or phrases which are not really um, clearly defined as to what they mean. Mm, that, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Because 
you just put it in such a way that I never even thought of when people say, I will never get over this. Or I'll, even in some cases where people say, I'll never forgive you. Again, that's like predicting the future because we don't know what's going to happen. For, for, because you just don't know. You could go out in a month's time and something amazing happens in your life. Not necessarily that the person gets pregnant again or gets into another relationship, but something else could happen that could help and aid you on that path to your healing, to be put, putting yourself and getting yourself into a better place. That's right. And also those myths often lead to isolation of the griever. As you were saying before, people don't talk about it because then their, their emotionality is invalidated. So then if I can't be around people that can hold me with that intense emotionality that I have, I'd rather be on my own. Right. And, and another topic is actually grief alone. Like you might have heard something. Um, maybe you need some time alone. So, you know, if someone is really emotional, not necessarily just grief, people think, oh, maybe you need some time alone. And what parents, <laughs> parents even say to their children, if you want to cry, go to your room. You know, it's implied that um, sadness or strong emotionality needs to be dealt with alone. Mm. Or another, phrase, another phrase often said is, take all the time you need meaning alone to deal with the emotions you know it's like who says and often grievers are overestimated in terms of the time that they need mm. so i'm not saying that they don't need time alone but they're often left alone for too long so um it's 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 a thing that is staying in people's heads about how grief should be done um around those myths like in terms of the time, emotionality, prediction of the future, um, in terms of uh, also spiritual myth and cliches, right? This is a lot of spiritual bypassing that comes from that. Like God or life or karma um, will never give you more than you can handle. That's a tough one. Mm -hmm. Are we to say that? Or if we're using spiritual beliefs, either our own or that person's to gloss mm -hmm. over the emotionality, for example, have faith in God. He will lessen your grief. The thing is with, with the relation, uh, the relationship to grief, uh, to religion, it can change in the face of loss. So yeah. the person might be really um, strong in their faith before, but when they have loss, that might be shaken. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we need to be careful what we're saying because it's, it's implied that this should help where we actually don't know what their faith is. And, or, uh -huh. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Another pretty um, difficult one is you will see something positive come out of this. You know, Every cloud has a silver lining, right? That one. Yeah, as if it's a lesson. And grief mm. is not a lesson to be learned. It's an, an a human emotional that we're equipped to deal with. Um, yeah, so many things that we have learned and they become so ingrained in us that we even find it challenging to, to differentiate, you know, what is really true and what not, because often a statement is true in itself in another situation. And it might be cognitively true. Yes. A person can have another baby unless they're too old or mm -hmm. not able to have one, or you could have another partner. 
but it's emotionally barren or sad at the wrong time. So therefore it creates damage. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because again, there were a couple of things that you mentioned that really just struck a chord with me. One of them was when you mentioned where people of a faith background will use certain things like God won't give you more than you can bear. And there's another one that um, I'm trying to remember. It says, um, God works all things together for good. And when a person is grieving or having just gone through a loss, you're right. That is not the thing to say at that time, because that could really shake a person's faith. And to be honest, it's not helpful. It's just really not helpful. And I've noticed, because I grew up um, in a Pentecostal home in the Pentecostal faith, and I'm starting to see now where they're learning that actually, true as that may be, there's a time to say things like that. And that's not at the immediate stage of the person has just gone through a loss and they're grieving and you say that at that point. We need to be a lot more discerning of what we are saying to people and when we are saying things. And the other point that you um, mentioned was when people, for example, have had a the loss of a child and a very dear friend of mine, well, to be honest, more than one have lost children. Um, there is one person, she lost her little girl after four days. Mm-hmm. And she was sharing with me what people were saying to her. And she was, she she said in her mind she was just completely screaming thinking that was my child she may have only have lived for a few days but that is my baby she she is my baby and then I think about a year or so later she got pregnant and a lot of the things that you mentioned that people say is what people said to her that she shared with me that people said to her like but one of the things that she said that really struck me was just like wow that the unintentional insensitivity of people and and I think a lot of it is because I don't I'd, I'd like to believe that in those situations people aren't intentionally intentionally being insensitive. Mm-hmm. So I could just own, also just sum it up to the unintentional insensitivity of people where they are oh well everything must be all right now for you you must be all right now because you've got another baby so everything's okay. And she said the same thing that you did that no having another baby does not replace my daughter that's impossible for that to be the case so you saying that just brought back to mind the things that she was saying to me that were said to her after the loss of her daughter and when she got pregnant again and it was just that thinking people if you have nothing to say please just 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 give her a hug (laughs) Yeah. Just, just give a hug rather than try to find something to say where then, because even though it's uninten- the insensitivity is unintentional, that could then leave such an impression with the person going through the grief. They, that could change how they then view that person even. That could damage and change relationships between people. I mean, what do you think? 
Well, definitely. You said a beautiful um, phrase. You said they're unintentional insensitivity. Because the truth is, um, the reason why the people surrounding the bereaved say things like that is because they're helpless. Helpless, um, they don't know what to do or how to say it. They are often shocked yeah. and they, they want to fix it. Now that's where the, that's where the crux is because the option A, which is or the best way to fix it would be that mother wants her child back, right? Yeah. That's, that's the thing that would fix this grief. Mm-hmm. But option A, as Cheryl Sandberg says in her book, is not available. And um, people surrounding or support people, they often try and fix the, the person or want to fade the emotionality that is there, but that's not necessary. That's not, that's not needed. So I would say that generally people who are trying to help are, as you were saying, unintentionally insensitive. They are wanting to help, but they haven't been taught how. How do we deal with people facing adversity? And, and I guess, you know, that's my advocacy as to bring people um, into the field to understand the different languages. Because what I have found in in my work with people and my personal experience is that when you have the experience, and especially in acute grief, you're completely um, in that experience and you speak what I call the language of grief. Mm-hmm. And when you're on the outside, you don't speak that language. Right. And there's a statement that says, you will never understand what it is like to lose a child, as an example, unless you experience it. And there's truth in it. Um, However, also when you're speaking grief or when you're in the grief section, mm-hmm. then you do not have the perspective for what the supporters speak. They speak support. Yeah. And it's not the same language. And what I have found in my work, I often help both sides to understand the other side. And that translation really helps the supporters to be skillful in their support because really there is a there's a misunderstanding about what, what, truly, what truly is support in grief. You know, generally we think as support as um, we have to help someone get over it or get through it or heal as quickly as possible, become their old self again. Um, and that leads to the grief of feeling crazy or feeling inadequate, not doing it right. Mm-hmm. They might feel embarrassed because they're still feeling so bad after X amount of time. Right, right. There is not a set timeline in grief. So they feel misunderstood, not doing it right, and therefore also alone. Um, and that's, again, where it leads to um, bereaved people not being able to share authentically about their grief experience, which then also leads to the supporters not knowing what to do because um, they are not in a state to actually, the grievers are not in a state to experience grief because they are taken by it. it. takes. There's a saying that says every day in acute grief is like you're running a marathon. It takes so much energy of your, of your full energy that this is what it takes. So you're not, you're not here to educate the supporters. Um, but my, my version is, or my idea is to help the supporters actually find out and find out how to define support mm-hmm. that is helpful to those who are bereaved. And I mean, you said before, you know, give her a hug. And I mean, even just presence mm-hmm. is, is really helpful to someone who is grieving. 
and the presence that is one that doesn't want to fix or fade the emotionality of the other person, doesn't compare or lessen the severity of the emotionality that is present, um, who is able to allow the feelings or the emotions to emerge and just the way that they're expressed, because some people express a lot, some people express not a lot. Either is fine. It's not a better way to actually grieve. Mm -hmm. It's really important. Um, there's a misconception around only when you cry or when you grieve with emotionality, therefore you're actually grieving. It's not true. But the, that presence that I was describing um, is really about adjusting to the bereaved person's needs with, by asking questions, mm. by offering specific help. Um, there's a beautiful sentence that I heard. Um, I, no, I read it. In, um, it's in Sheryl Sandberg's book called Option B, where she says, um, she talks about someone else who said, um, who called the person in the hospital who was bereaved saying, I'm out here in the lobby for the next hour and I'm offering you a hug. If you want to come down, I'm here. If you don't, I, I just want you to know that I'm here. And... Um, you know, that's such a beautiful example of, of being present to the person without needing to, to do something because really the, the resolution is not something that we can give a bereaved person. One other important, really important aspect is to share memories about the loved one, to yes. speak about, even if it's a baby that you don't know, to share their name because often their names are no longer spoken. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at that point, um, if it's a baby that passes, because if it was someone that had lived and spent years among us, then there'll be all these memories and pictures and experiences that their name would be mentioned in conversation a lot. But a baby, as in my friend's case, where the baby, where her daughter only lived for a few days, there, there hasn't been anything built up. So they, and so what they do as a family, they intentionally mention her name in conversation so that she's, they are aware. And the baby that they had after their daughter passed, they had a son, um, he will grow up hearing her name, knowing he had an older sister. Mm. And something else that you mentioned was, um, how people assume grief looks. There's somebody literally a crying heap, a mess in the corner. It's like, okay, yep, she's grieving. But to your point, grief can manifest itself in so many different ways that we may never know all the ways that grief can manifest itself. Yeah. So there's different ways, there's different individual ways, just even, um, between two people, whether they're male or female, or just two, two females, as an example. Mm -hmm. um, grief can come in, in, in different language. And there's a beautiful saying is, grief is as unique as your fingerprint. Mm. Um, that really sums it up to not wanting to put it into a box or to be able to know this is what grief looks like. It, it doesn't look like something specific. Um, what I would say as a general term, it is, it is hard. It is absolutely the most intense experience, which personally I have gone through. Um, and many of the people that I have worked with say exactly the same thing. Um, 
so definitely uh, one sentence that we could all have in common is grief is hard but you know there's emotional reactions there's physical reactions there's cognitive reaction or behavioral or spiritual reaction and not one is more grieving or better grieving than the other mm, yes um that 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 is something that as the support we need to recognize and whether we realize it or not because we are alive we are we all at some point are going to experience a loss exactly so it would be really beneficial for all of us to know that because i know that i've experienced losses and then just to really sit back and think when i was going through that what would have helped me and I'm not saying that's necessarily going to be the right way for me to help another person, but it, it more, hopefully would invoke more empathy within me to be able to be a better support because without even realizing there's something that you said just made me think that there's been a couple of times when um, people I, that are connected to me, that I, people that I know have gone through loss. And when I couldn't physically be there because for the most part, most of my friends and family, they still live in the UK. So especially during this time, um, we've lost family members and um, my cousin passed from COVID. Um, and I was, thank you. And I was speaking to his wife mm -hmm. and obviously with everything going on, I couldn't travel back to London to be there with my family. So I remember I was on the phone to her and I said, look, and she was just telling me some of the, again, unintentional, insensitive things that people had been saying to her. And I said to her, look, if you need an out, if you need an escape, you call me. If you just want to call and we sit in silence, that's fine. If you want to call and you're just crying, that's fine. If you want to call and if you want to be screaming your head off, that's fine. Whatever it is you need to do, I'm here on the other end of this phone to help you with that. Because I couldn't be there physically. So I just had to follow her lead in what it was that she needed, not even so much wanted to do, what she needed to do. So as you're saying that, that kind of encourages me to make me think, okay, I kind of, I've been a going along the right lines, so to speak, in being that support to help. Because the truth is, she didn't know how she was going to be feeling from one day to the next, because she did say to me, one day she's up, then she's down. And she felt like, am I going crazy? Is this supposed to be the way it's supposed to be? Because if I'm feeling good today, how comes I felt so bad yesterday? And if I'm feeling good today, does that mean I'm over it? And, and, and she was just going through that whole thing. And I just said to her, it's not called a roller coaster of emotions for no reason, because <laughs> it literally is up, down, twist, turn, stop, start. It really is all of that. And especially now, while it's so fresh, you have to just let it basically take you on that ride and don't try to suppress it. And that's the thing that I was really trying to encourage her. Whatever it is you need to do, 
like I said, if you need to call me yelling and you want to cuss somebody out or something, don't do it to them because they don't may not realize it. You could call me and do that. I've got thick skin. It's fine. It's okay. I'll take it for them. But it's just, you just don't know how it's going to manifest itself. Mm. Yes, exactly. The, it's the permission to express the grief in whatever way it comes from day to day. Another thing you mentioned, which is, a, which is a common experience for grievers, is that they feel crazy, that they feel like they're going crazy. Mm. And that is because the, the intensity and the range of emotions that, or not just emotions, I don't want to always talk about emotions, but the range of how grief is experienced is so often different to what or how people experienced themselves before mm -hmm. that they don't recognize themselves. So I said to my husband, 18 months after um, we lost our child, I said to him, um, you know, you at any time can leave. I am stuck with myself. I have to continue being with myself. And what I meant by that was the new me, the, the, the person after the loss, I was experiencing myself so differently to who I was before. Mm. And I at times couldn't stand it, the difference, the, the disparity between my old self and my new, what they call new normal, even though it's not really normal, mm -hmm. but the new self. That, I, that was the challenge to, to integrate that new self into your life again. And at least for me, the loss of my child, which was then followed by the loss of my mother through suicide four months later, you know, it, it, it was really compound and it, it brought out a new person in me that I wasn't familiar with, or not completely, but to a point that I, I really had to start getting to a new relationship with myself. It sounds odd, but um, because, you know, it's often the case that you experience very contradictory emotions or reactions or responses to grief, as you were saying with your friend, one day to the next, or your couple of wife, sorry. And that is really weird mm. because you know yourself in one way. Maybe you, Maybe one person is like that. But still, grief changes you. And what you were saying there, that new relationship with the, the person you have become, because, again, thinking about life, nobody stays the same. We change because we go through life. We go through experiences. And we have to then learn the person we've evolved into as a result of the experience that they, we've just gone through, because I'm thinking about, <laughs> I'm thinking about the Alison of 20. That's nowhere near the Alison of today. And in some respects, I'm very grateful <laughs> for that because nobody would want that Alison still around. But the things that I've gone through in my life, um, going through the loss of my husband, we went through a divorce, going through the loss of, because I've had um, three miscarriages, so going through the loss of those. And then I had to have um, a hysterectomy, so going through the loss of that, knowing that I wanted children, but now not going to be able to, and going through, and many times it's, it could be going through the loss of a job that you were in, 
for many, many years, especially now that we're in COVID and people have been working for a company for so many years. The company hasn't survived this period. So there's so many different things that you could that you will go through, that we all go through in life, that then shapes us onto the next phase or portion or chapter of the journey of life that we are on. And it's, and I think for some people, it's the challenge that I have seen in some is they've tried to stay being the person they were before the loss and they've struggled with it because they know they've gone through this loss. They know they've gone through this experience, but yet trying to maintain the person that they were before. And I think that was, in my opinion, and please help me here, Natalie, put in so much unnecessary pressure on themselves to still maintain that. When, for the most part, I think people will understand that a person will change because of going through loss and the grieving that they're experiencing. So you said a few things here that are really important and I'd like to pull out a little bit. One of the things loss, um, even though we speak about um, people who have died quite a bit, as you were saying, loss um, comes in many forms. Um, loss comes in the form of people dying, leaving, but also important things that we have formed in a relationship too mm -hmm. that are um, discontinuing, that might be a friendship, um, that might be a job, that might be part of our health, that might be an identity or um, the financial security, which we are definitely challenged with in, in these times, maybe loss of self-confidence or um, hope in the future. Now, if you're thinking about your miscarriages or your hysterectomy, there's been dreams and hopes. And so it's not just the loss of these potential children or the ability to have children, but also you have to give up on certain visions that you had for the future. Mm. And in relation to what you say people change with losses, is that um, often a loss is followed by what is, by what is called secondary losses. And secondary losses are anything that comes as a, um, as a, I've lost the word now, as a, as a following on from that first loss as a result. That's the word I was looking for. And um, as I was saying, there's, if someone dies or if, if you've lost a job, there's other things that change. Maybe your identity, yeah. you're no longer um, a colleague or you're no longer the wife if you've lost a husband. So certain identities change, maybe also loss of an income where you might have had to move, loss of a home, loss of financial security. Um, there is also loss of the support system, maybe because you're no longer working at a job, maybe you no longer have those um, people that you go for lunch with or the support, maybe that discontinues. Um, I mean, especially now with um, social distancing, there's lots of um, challenges people are faced with, which is the loss of connection. Yeah close proximity, also physical touch. And it's not to be underestimated, all those things, they affect us. And, and, and our system has to deal with that change. Losses that, the secondary losses often arise over time. So for example, um, 
thing also associated with giving things away of the deceased person in that case, or um, with children that you might not have had, it's the loss of important milestones that you envisage, right? Your children and your grandchildren growing up with you, or um, if you're, if I'm thinking about your friend who lost her child when she was four days old, she will know every year on the birthday how old that child would be, when that child would go to school, and all these things, the important milestones that are no longer happening, or even, you know, watching um, others grieve the loss of, for example, her child, let's say her parents or the siblings. Um, there's all these secondary losses that happen to all of us. Yeah. The third thing you were saying is that loss doesn't choose specific people. It happens to all of us. Yeah. Sooner or later, we will have to face the loss of a person through death. And I think it was an actor, I don't know if it was Robert John Jr., Dan Jr., what's his name, who said, um, I'm not sure if it's him, but he said, we're good for you because you will face loss sooner or later in your life as well. So do not, do not be afraid to learn from us grieving because we are just an example of your future. That this is loosely, loosely quoted, okay. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 the, um, but we get the meaning behind it and that is so true. And it's interesting that you say that because I remember somebody said something similar. It wasn't about a loss. It was um, somebody was going through an experience. They were um, they had mental health challenges, and the way that the mother of his son was behaving, and people were saying, "You know something? Sometimes these things could be hereditary. Rather than you behave this way, take note, because God forbid this could be your son down the line." especially as mental health issues and certain things are hereditary. So as you say that, it just brought that back to me where it's like, yes. And I'm not saying that you're supposed to, you know, sit there with a notepad and pen and take notes and like, okay, they're doing this. It's not, it's not as clinical as that, but just take note of the fact that this person is, they're, they're struggling through something. They're experiencing something. They feel broken to a certain extent about this experience that they're going through take note because one day like you said we are we are all going to walk that road hmm. we are all going to walk that road and that is so true because again loss can be in we we are all going to experience loss through death as long as we know people we're going to experience it exactly. and Something that you said um, about secondary loss and when you said that other people connected to my friend, they are also going through loss because, yes, she does have an older son and he was so excited to be welcoming his little sister home. Mm -hmm. And what they did, they gave him the opportunity to see her while she was in the NICU. And so he was going through loss and he was only 10 it's like nine or 10. So he was going through that loss. And in the case of myself with the having a hysterectomy, my mother was grieving that she won't have grandchildren because I'm an only child. Yeah. 
Exactly. So my, I, and I didn't appreciate that until, because my mum didn't feel like she could show that to me because I was processing what I was going through. And it didn't occur to me that she too was experiencing the loss of the potential of, because I remember my mum always said to me, after I got married, she said, the day you get pregnant or you find out you're pregnant, you tell me I'm going to retire from my job and then I will look after your children because there's no point in paying childcare fees because they cost so much money. So that was the plan that we had. So when that plan, we realized that, okay, that plan was going to be no more. She then, all the plans and the dreams that she had, the realization that that's not going to be the case now. And I I just had no idea about secondary grieving until my mother and I had that conversation. So I'm so glad that you brought that up, Natalie, because you reminded me of, of that as well. And people... I think need to know that, that you're not, for example, in the case of a woman that's lost a child, you're not just supporting that woman. You're supporting her husband if she's got any other children. And there's an extended family there. And I don't think we really place the level of importance on that, that we should. Yeah. Um, One beautiful story I have from um, a friend of mine, who her friend lost her sister and they were an ad, they were adults and um, my friend brought little bits um, a letter or a little flower or something to her who was the sister the sister of a bereaved sister every week for a number of weeks I think probably for a year every time saying, I think of you, I'm here, I'm, it's the remembrance of that person, of that relationship and honoring that. And that is so important because that keeps the tie with the bereaved person. And even though the bereaved person might not be able to actually reach out for help, Mm. they continuously know, okay, this person is here. Mm. Another beautiful um, story, which I love to tell is, um, and friend of mine, old friend of mine from Sydney, every year now, and this is now coming up to, um, yeah, the 10th time we'll see at Christmas, she writes, the, she still writes Christmas cards and she addresses the Christmas cards and in that she writes all the names, including Amaya's name, so my daughter who died, and she puts in all the names. And as we were saying before, you know, the name rarely gets mentioned. Mm-hmm, yeah. But every time at Christmas, if I open her card and I have it hung up in my cupboard, even because this is such a testament to um, the ability of someone to know just by sending a signal to, I remember her. Or even just on, on your friend who lost a child, on the child's birthday to say, to send a message saying, I think of you mm. in memory of your baby. Yeah. That is so meaningful. That is, that is really understanding that we can be with someone who has lost and without needing to fix it, but we can show what we have. I'm, I'm glad you said that, thank you, because that is something that I will try to remember. 
to do. And I say try to remember to do, because to be honest, sometimes I forget the people around me's birthdays. So I'm going to try to remember to do that because I know this year it was a struggle for her because they would normally do something on her birthday and because Mm -hmm. of lockdown and the restrictions and they couldn't do the celebration that they would normally like to do it heightened the loss for her this year Mm -hmm. because of everything else that was going on as well because even though she still has two children the son she had before her daughter and the son she had after because she's got them with her to celebrate their birthdays it was different so Natalie thank you for that reminder that I'm really going to really make an effort to remember to call Mm. her on her daughter's birthday because I I remember when her daughter's birthday is so Mm. I'm going I'm going to do that so and it's not just um her daughter it's also for example people that have lost somebody and they may have moved on into another relationship and you don't want to be it's a fine line because how would you suggest we do this because like a dear friend of mine she got married the very beginning of this year and her previous husband who I have known my entire life his mother and my grandmother (laughs) were friends that's how far back we go and you don't want to be disrespectful or insensitive to the the, um, the man that she married this year but we don't want to either forget him I mean how do we do that so did he die or did she he died die? yeah he passed about seven years ago he passed yeah, yeah. So now there's a misconception, it's not a myth, but it's a misconception that people don't want to um, remind the person who's lost someone about their loss because they might have tears or they might be sad. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I hear all the time is that grievers say, we will never forget. There doesn't, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of my child. As an example, that's people that say that. Um, so you don't rem- remind them of something they would have otherwise forgotten but it shows you care for the memory of that person. Right. Because the relationship might have ended on a physical sense, but the emotional relationship is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll give you an example in relation to my mother. Um, so my mother died um, four months after my, my girls were born and, and then the younger one died. So she will always be my mother. I don't have a physical relationship with her, but the emotional continues that means I think of her on her birthday. Yeah. I remember her in other ways because there's memories attached to it or things that connect us. Mm. And then I will remember her on her death anniversary, things like that. And I would say that um, people who do that with you or give you a sign um, by saying, remembering your mom with you today, mm-hmm means I honor that memory of that person. Okay. The thing is, it, it, I don't feel actually it is disrespectful to the, new, to the new husband. It is respecting the person that had an impact in her life and in yours too. Yeah, because I remember him fondly because I've known him my whole life. And so, and the thing is, 
her new husband. I've known him for a long time as well. <laughs> but it was just one of those things where, how do you do that? Because we spent so many years calling her by one last name it's still getting used to calling her by a new one. And you don't mean any disrespect, but you were known by that name for, I'm sure, probably about 20 years, yeah. if not more. And, and it's a case of just letting her new husband know, I'm not being disrespectful, but I have memories of her first husband. So and I just wanted to know if you had any kind of advice that we could give so thank you for for sharing that to say that it's not disrespectful it's just honoring and of course it's dependent on how it's done because you know sometimes you've got some people that can just be mean so not and not we're not excusing those people but but so thank you I I appreciate that and Natalie I just want to touch on the work that you do so, and I was looking and it's got, you've got mourning accompaniment, accompaniment, grief and trauma. And you also have a grieving parent support network. Yeah. So I personally work with clients who have any form of loss. And I said, it doesn't have to be loss of someone through death. It could also be loss of health and other forms of loss. I work one-on-one -on -one with them in terms of grief grief accompaniment, then we have a grieving parent support network, um, which is linked with a peer support group, um, where people who have lost a child, there's specifically the children, um, join that group, which is on Facebook, and get support from each other. Okay. We found that, um, especially with parents who have lost a child, they feel really understood and accepted by each other because of the shared relational loss that they have mm -hmm. and the last book that we've done was a collaboration of 26 stories of bereaved parents who shared of one challenge that they had in the first year and how they dealt with it this just one form of challenge and it's it's fascinating to see that no matter what the age of the child is or the reason for the death there's something that bonds parents mm -hmm. over the loss of a child and then currently what I'm working on is uh, my sixth book, which is called Bridging the Grief Gap. And it's, it's helping fostering a better understanding of the two sides, as I was saying, those people who are in grief, bereaved, and those who are trying to support them, to help them understand what is grief, what does it look like, and to help the bereaved understand the other perspective. So basically to... to give like a translation, like a Google translator to different languages. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really see my advocacy in terms of helping people understand grief more. You know, like, like you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, it's, it's often that it is a taboo and not spoken about, mm -hmm. or the topics that are not spoken about. And we can see the, the increase of understanding or the, that actually is reflected in the ability for grievers to grieve in a more sustainable way or in a, in a more resilient way. I mean, personally, if I look at my grieving experience, I see that the reason I felt 
able to deal with it the way I did was because of the support in retrospect that I had. Mm, so yeah, you saying that, so really support is key. It really is key. I, because, I, mm -hmm. I, see, I see definitely first self-care, which is self-support. Mm -hmm. Um, as, as number one, understanding and accepting your own grief, and then being able to get the right support and help the supporters to understand what adequate or helpful or, or hope-inspired support is for the relief. Yes, because something that you mentioned um, earlier in the conversation, when people are grieving and it's a child and they're told to go and cry in their room so they're really needing support and they're not getting it so they are conditioned and to and taught to you must grieve in private nobody can see you grieve it's nobody and not even that nobody um, can see you grieve it's almost giving them the message that nobody wants to see you grieving, exactly. sending yeah. them to their room, right? Exactly. Well. I think it, it is sort of mixed, you know, in terms of our beliefs of emotionality in general. Mm -hmm. And what I see as a mother to my now nine-year-old, where sometimes I'm maybe overwhelmed with her emotions and I say, I need a break which might also lead into the message for her, okay, mommy can't deal with my emotionality. Mm -hmm. and, but in terms of grief, we need to, add, I think we need to educate people on the simplicity of support. You know, mm -hmm. as you were saying at one point, to say, I'm sorry for your loss, or even if that is not possible for whatever reason, and you're speechless, just say nothing and just be with the person. These are the two, the two cornerstones. Um, and I have to put a thing in there, not just to say I'm sorry, but actually meaning it. Mm. Not to be followed by, um, let's say, a heart, if that's appropriate in terms of the relationship. Or even if, you're, if you don't know what to say, authentically say, I wish I had the right words, but I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yes. That's um, much better than nothing at all. Yeah, no, that, that is true, because... Um, I recall I came into contact with someone who lost their son. He was murdered um, trying to help someone else. He was a, in his early teens. And I remember the only thing I could think to say is I'm not going to patronize you by telling you I know how you feel because I don't. <laughs> and that's the only thing I could think to say because people were saying all sorts of things and I'm just like um have any of you lost a child what are you people saying what are you actually saying you know that thing oh you know I know how you feel I can only imagine how you feel actually two things no you don't and no you don't want to ever be in yeah. that position to know how they feel if we're honest nobody wants to be in that position where they lose a child so I just said to him I'm not going to patronize you. I don't know how you feel. So you tell me. <laughs> mm. Cheryl Sandberg in her book, Option B, uh, it's, it's, very it's very prominent in my head because I'm just um, reading, reading it. She okay. says, 
one of the best ways to be, to approach someone and rather than say how are you is how are you today because that creates a connection and also it allows the person to feel different from day to day mm. and, and, and it is specific especially in the english language where how are you is basically a greeting and the general the general answer is the terming on your culture in america it's more i'm fine i'm great <laughs> or it's different in each culture on what is expected to be answering but if you ask how are you today followed by sincerity of wanting to know it allows or invites the bereaved to be opening a conversation about it mm. and also introducing to the grievers the more that they open up the more that they authentic, authentically share given the circumstances the more the supporters can actually understand what's truly going on mm. so it is really about um, encouraging those grievers who are past acute grief to be able to speak up to truly say how it is, what the reality is of, of grief, and to educate the supporters to be with that in a tandem of teach me how that support works for you specifically, and I'll teach you how I'm best supported. Because even that is individual. Mm. Like anyone's grief, the kind of support needs to be adjusted. Mm -hmm. Because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Nothing really is a one-size-fits-all if we, if we think about it. And I like what you said and how you've been putting it all, Natalie, because the reality is you've made me realise and hopefully our listeners realise that to be that person in support, it's not hard. It's not hard. And by just adding something simple like the word today, how are you today? That just opens it up, like you said, to make that connection for that person to know, realize that, okay, yes, it's different from day to day, but it also allows them to be present in how they're feeling today. Mm. And that is so key. And it's not hard. It really is not hard. I think that the hardest part is letting go of the perceived ways that are helpful, um, which might be based on myth, which might be based on, I need to help her not cry as an example, and to let go and say, actually, grieving is not the problem, grieving is the solution. Mm. So whatever way this comes out, let them do it and be present, be like the, the safety net that holds them in their wailing, in their whatever. Mm -hmm. And I like something that you said. You said, those who do not have <coughs> trauma are forced to repeat or reenact it. Say it again, I was coughing. <laughs> Those who do not realize their trauma are forced to repeat or reenact it. And that's, that's just so true, isn't it? Because if you don't face it, if you don't confront it, then how is anybody supposed to help you? And how really do you help your own self? So, yeah, I, I really like how you put that. And, um, and then you went on to say that 
um, there's losses that trigger post-trauma survival mechanisms in addition to the mourning of whatever it is that was lost. So it's, and those can, things can be like when losses occur, for example, you had mentioned like if it's um, like a terror attack or a plane crash or things like that. It can make people, so for example, if um, like I know, unfortunately, somebody that survived a car accident and somebody else didn't and then they're left feeling guilty because they survived so they're going through the loss but then some sort of guilt that they because they were driving as well yeah so that, that the guilt of all of those things and so going back to what you were saying about grieving and loss and then something that we didn't touch on when he put trauma into the mix of that and being able to support the person and allowing them to work through the, the grief, the, the loss. And in some cases, trauma that could be associated with what they're dealing with as well. Yeah, it, it often is the case that... Um, or not often, or, you know, not really often the case that um, grief, especially in relation, in relation to losing a child, is, is related to trauma because there's some, um, some general theme in terms of the death of the child happens out of timely order, meaning the, the parents should go first and then the child, mm-hmm. which is an imprint on the soul that is this is not right. Or if a loss happens through um, something sudden or violently, as you were saying, someone is, is killed, um, that leaves um, the person in shock. And that needs to be addressed at the same time or as well as the grief. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because just thinking about it, there. I've spoken to people that have had a level of guilt associated with someone passing away. And so they felt as though they weren't able to grieve because what gives them the right to grieve because they're guilty and they somehow hold themselves responsible for it. So that is so very interesting that that you mentioned that. But um, Natalie, this this has been great, and this has been informative, educational, and it's just something that's really allowed me to take a step back and think about how I can help others moving forward. How, and it's made me think about how I've also helped people in the past. So, so this is this has been great. So, Natalie, you've told us a bit about the work that you do. So, and I know that you've authored books. So, where can people find you? Find more information about what you do. Should they need your resources and your books? So, my website is my name. So, Natalie with T H Himmelrich H I double N E-L-R-I-C-H dot com. And on there, people can find all the books, um, including a little bit more about me and how I work. And there's also the Grieving Parents Support Network, which is Grieving Parents Support Net- 
grieving parents or also the website <laughs> grieving parent support network which you can ask actually it's easy from my website um from natalieheinrich.com there is a heading that says grieving parents and there there's the link to the grieving parent support network yeah this grievingparents.net if there's a website there's also a facebook page with it um, and as I said, there's a peer support network, which you can all found on grievingparents.net. There's actually the hub of, of those kind of things. Yes, and as, you, and as you mentioned, people can learn more about you there. And they can know that, and if it, it may help some people to know that you yourself have gone through the loss. You mentioned you've lost your daughter. She was a twin, and you, you lost your daughter. Um, at a, she was an infant when you lost her and four months later you lost your mother to suicide so people that reach out to you can they hopefully will get some help to know that and some comfort to know that this isn't a person just talking to me about something she's read in a book this is a person that has walked this journey this path that I'm going down and she'll be able to feel so you're speaking from a place of real truth and experience not just knowledge and many people that have reached out to me have expressed that in certain things they have found it so comforting to speak to someone that can identify with what they have gone through and you were saying that your grieving parent support network is this it's pretty much the same thing it's a community of parents that have experienced loss that can encourage and support each other. So, and you said there's a Facebook page for that as well? Yeah, so grievingparents.net is the website, but it's linked with the Facebook page of the same, okay. and grievingparents.net, so you can find it there as well. And then the peer support group can be found on the website. It's called May We All Heal. That is actually a community that has created it, um, it's also linked to an event that usually happens in May, um, like a creative event where mothers specifically, because at least in many countries around the world, I'm not sure in all, not about 112 countries celebrate Mother's Day in May. It's so centered around the mothering and how we as giving parents and mother a child that is not physical. Okay, thank you. And so, Natalie, what's next for you? Because I, I believe you mentioned you're writing your sixth book? Yes, the current book project that I'm working on is called Bridging the Grief Gap. Mm -hmm. And so that is um, helping a better understanding between the bereaved, the grievers on one side and the support network on the other side. It just helps um, them understand each other's language in a better way. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to when you finish that book because that will be a, a huge resource for so yeah. many. And I'm and looking that, book, to that. that book is also not specific to grieving parents. That's um, for grief and loss in general because mm -hmm. I, I found that, I mean, I've been sold out by grieving parents specifically because they, as you were saying, really feel that someone can relate who's experienced it. But then uh, my work is, is not specifically with grieving parents only, but it's also with other people who have lost, uh, who have had a loss. So I really understand the, the commonality between the different languages spoken. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Natalie. I appreciate you and your time and just your willingness to share 
not just your experience, but your expertise as well. So Natalie, thank you so much. I've appreciated you spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Alison, for having me um, on your podcast. It's been a real honor. You're very welcome, my dear. Thank you so much. And may all be well with you and your family. Thank you. Same to you. you. Take care now. Thanks, Natalie. Bye-bye. spending time with us. We're already looking forward to the next episode of This is Conversations with Allison J. The journey to here. Until next time, honor, respect, and blessings to you all. If you want to connect, visit allisonj.net. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-J-A-Y-E.net. Allison with one L, as she is the one and only.